Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex, depending on what country you're in. With me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a psychologist, a sex and intimacy coach, an accredited advanced gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I have spent over 30 years working with people to help them create and maintain incredible relationships with sizzling sex and without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. And this week, the letter is U, and U is for unusual. Joining me today is the amazing Layla London. She's a woman who just recently decided to explore her sexuality. After a three and a half year self-imposed dry spell, she woke up one day and said, what the heck am I doing to myself? Why have I just shut off that side of my sexuality? I need physical contact badly. So she decided to stop wasting the pretty and get out there. Having set out on a sexual road trip, she's scratching things off her sexual bucket list. She's getting laid, exploring kinks, a word that she didn't know anything about before this. Having fun, sifting through the emotions it stirs up, blogging and podcasting about it anonymously. I will refer you and we'll give you the way to to listen to her podcast at the end of this. But just so you know, Curious Girl Diaries, Fantastic podcast, well worth a listen. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Dr. Dr. Bisbee. I'm so excited to be here. So I was, you know, I'm sorry to mean to stumble on that one. I was like, do I call her doctor? Can I just call her Lori Beth? What what which way do I go with this? You know, we're relaxed here. You can call me Lori Beth. That's absolutely fine. All right. All Um, right. And people often go back and forth. It doesn't doesn't bother. I probably will. I probably will too. And so I like, I picked the topic unusual because I think we don't really talk these days about what do we think is usual and what do we think is unusual? So things have been changing. I'd like to start with what we think unusual sexuality is. Uh, I would say, (laughs) and don't ask me why I'm throwing this out there, but I stumbled across it and I'm just going to throw it out there. It's the first thing I thought of, I thought of, um, dead bedroom syndrome as unusual, <laughs> unusual sexual state. <laughs> so talk to me about dead bedroom syndrome. That's a great one. Well, okay. We can start there because why I'm resonating with that is what I realized after reading through, you know, forums and people talking about dead bedroom syndrome, uh, I realized that I had a self-imposed dead bedroom syndrome when I started this whole thing that I didn't, you know, I, I had just created that same scenario, but without a partner. And so it was even more, I don't know, it was even more of a sad scenario because I just brought it on myself and it was totally voluntary. And um, wow. obviously I changed that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, um, 
I actually don't think that's unusual, unfortunately. So I think that um, dead bedroom syndrome is actually quite common. And one of the things that I see is that people, when when the sex becomes a, an issue or a difficulty in a relationship, people have a great deal of difficulty addressing it, working it out and coming back to a state that is happier for them and more enjoyable for them. It becomes the elephant in the room really quickly. Yes. Yes. And I just don't see that. And maybe I'm, you know, pessimistic. Now I don't want to say pessimistic, but you know, it just seems like, okay, you, you know, both people really kind of need to be committed to solving this. And it seems that very few from what, just from what I was perusing and reading, it seems that it, it very few do like there's one that knows it's going on and, but they kind of want to sweep it under the rug. And then there's the other person. That's the one that's really more antagonized, antagonized by the fact that they're not getting, you know, that the, the connection and the sex and whatever it is that they want to get out of that. So I don't know. I, I, you know, I just think maybe you pick the wrong person. I think, I think if we roll the clock back, I really kind of think the best defense to this would be don't end up there in the first place <laughs> because a lot of people will say, well, yeah, he wasn't very sexual when I married him, but I thought that would change. You know, like I thought once, once we got married, he'd loosen up. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's probably a really bad assumption. Um, I mean, I, I think this is, this, uh, this is for across the board. Yeah. The only, I remind people that the only thing that we have control over is ourselves. Right. That's reality. Reality right. is I can control how I react to things. I can control um, how I behave, my thoughts, my feelings, all of that. But what I cannot do is control you. Therefore, anything based on I think you will change or I will hope you hope for you to change. The hope. Yeah, is is yeah. a is starting in a bad place. Yes. Well, yes. But so, so- Oh, I'm sorry. So I was just saying, so to bring that kind of back a little bit was, you know, I just was like, wow, I did, you know, I actually ended up doing that completely to myself. And so I was curious, I'm wondering if, you know, other people are doing it maybe the same way I did it, but with partners involved. I'm sure. Um, I, I think, you know, you were saying that there's seem, in your reading, there seems to be like one person who's sweeping it under the rug and the other person is more antagonistic. I actually think the basic problem here is that people don't talk about sex. Um, And so because they're not in the habit of talking about sex with each other, when things go wrong, they don't know what to do because they don't have a comfortable way to discuss things that could be sensitive. Yeah. And so now it's, it's all triggers. And so they don't, they don't know what to do. Yeah, for sure. And this for me is one of the things that hits with unusual so intensely is that when people think that their desires are unusual, they have much more difficulty having the conversation with a partner. Yeah. Fortunately, what people often do is they don't tell their partner. Right at all, or they decide they're going to wait until they really know the person. And so then you've got a situation where they really know the person. And so rejection is a lot more painful if there's going to be rejection than if they'd actually said stuff at the beginning and the person said, well, yeah, I'm not into that. And you can end it before it starts. I know. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there was, this was like, this is unnecessary. You know, it's really unnecessary. Uh, I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I learned what sort of motivated me and if, had I have had a partner at the time, I mean, I would, I'm, I only can assume they would have been the recipient of that ceasefire, you know, on my side, the lack of a sexual, I don't think I would have been initiating at the time. You know, I would have been just doing what I was doing, very focused on what, you know, the work and all that, and just getting distracted and and caught up in that. And I probably would have, you know, I probably would have been the one that was not, I I don't know what you call the person that doesn't want to have the sex (laughs) under that scenario, but I would have been that person. Which is so strange to me because I, you know, the minute I thought this isn't right, you know, I need to change this. 
um, I did it very quickly and there's no going back. You know, now I see what kind of craziness that was to put, to put on myself. And it would have been even weirder with, you know, another person that I was sort of affecting with it. Now, what's really interesting to me when you say that is that so many people devalue sexual contact. I mean, you know, there's people want to know about it. There's articles, there's podcasts, there's, you know, all of this information. But still, when you talk with people about relationships where sex isn't going well or, you know, well, what you hear over and over again is, well, that's really not the most important thing. Uh, Well, it is when it's not happening, it becomes the most important thing. It really does become the focal point. And that's what, that's what I see anyway. And, you know, when it's, when all the other things, I don't know, it just, they go hand in hand, you know, I mean, you, it's, I, I find it, I find it hard to believe. And again, this is just my opinion. I don't have any data to back this up, but I find it very hard to believe that people can be truly happy with saying, okay, you know, like I'm going to stay with this person because they check all these other boxes, but this one thing that, that, that would connect us as a couple and that really is sacred and essential to being a bonded couple, but we don't have that. We do all the roommatey stuff. We share a life like good friends and that's fine. But you know, that's just being friends sans the lovers part. You're just friends. You're not friends and lovers. And I think most people want that person they can be intimate with and that's their person. So it's really interesting um, because, you know, so I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm deliberately, and I'm saying this up front so people don't get wound up and writing complaints about this. We are leaving out the people for whom sex is not a thing. Right. You're on a spectrum and Mm -hmm. sex is really not a thing. We're not, I'm not talking about you right now. Right. Okay. I'm setting you aside. Because you form your relationships differently. So that's fine. I don't have an issue with that. But I am setting you aside for the moment. Um, And talking about the people for whom the sexual connection was an important part of forming the romantic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always find it interesting when people get to a place where what they decide is to that becomes so conflicted for whatever reason that they decide to set that aside and just be roommates. Um, And you often one person is unwilling to continue to do that. That's how I end up seeing them. Right. They they come in. One person has said, I don't want to live with a roommate. You know, that's not what I wanted. And now that's why. And how do we deal with this? Um, And a lot of times people are given professional advice that, you know, um, things wax and wane. I agree with that. They do. Um, But they get really bad advice that like after a certain point. For most people, and I'm putting it in quotes, sex is less important. And that's utter rubbish. It's utter rubbish. Right. Some people it becomes diminished in importance for a wide variety of reasons. For some people who never really were engaged physically anyway, for whom sex was really about procreation. Yeah, yeah. Then it becomes less important. Some people who have issues around it never dealt with them. It becomes less important. But for a lot of people in romantic relationships where that was key to the beginning of the relationship, it's not less important. They just don't know how to deal with it to, to get it back. And they believe the, you know, the popular line that, oh, you know, it dies over time and it just, you know, that's how it is. Right. Do you believe that? No, absolutely. I okay. I just want to say. I don't either. Absolutely, absolutely not. So here's what I what I can say about being in a long-term relationship. The first um, couple of years of relationship when there's newness, and that can be six months, it can be up to two years. It depends on frequency of seeing each other and a lot of other things. 
um, that part of the relationship, there's chemical changes that happen in the body that makes everything exciting. Um, and that when you pass that point, you're not getting those chemical reactions anymore. Um, yeah. So things do change. And if you want to keep sex exciting and you want to keep it good, you need to change what you're doing in order to keep things going. Uh, also say that you can never have newness again with a person that you know for that for a long time in the sense that once I know everything about you, there's nothing new to discover and human beings like mystery and discovery. And so there is a part of sex that does change in a long-term relationship that has to do with that, that little bit. That little element. Yeah. Yeah. But would you, okay. I like that. I like that thought. Um, but when you're, let's say if you're open and you're exploring new things and you're staying, you know, curious and inquisitive with your partner, with your sexuality, then you are kind of experiencing new things, uh, together yeah. and you're, you are still, you do have those opportunities to see and sort of just a different side of your partner. And yes, there's the, you know, all the little intricacies that you wouldn't have seen you know, in a different type of, whether it's a sex act or using a different toy or whatever it is that's bringing this out, you know, something that's different. Um, I've just felt like my sexuality is constantly changing and evolving kind of like me. And it's interesting because sometimes I don't always know where it's go. you know, like, where is this going, this new discovery or, oh, I didn't think I liked this and now I do, but it's fun when you're with a partner because they're watching the evolution of it too, you know, and it is seeing you in this new light. Yep. But it's, it's, but that's, that's by definition limited because at some point you run out of things to explore, right? Yeah. In terms of brand new things. I'm not saying that you don't, I'm not saying you don't have great sex with the person, please Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. At some point you run out of brand new things to explore. And so that element is no longer there. You have other elements that you're enjoying. Right. For a lot of people, that element going is the time where they say, you know, sex became routine or they no longer were enjoying themselves so much. But if you know that that those changes are going to happen, you can plan for those changes and you can make sure you can actually spread the time longer by exploring lots of things. Um, And so you can make sure that you've got that. One way to bring some of that back is to bring fantasy in but again, you know, we are limited in what we can actually imagine after a while, right? That we would want to try. Yeah. Uh, and so. Um, I what, haven't gotten to the end of that yet. So I'm like, oh God, I don't, we don't want that. Well, the fantasy, well, the well of fantasies to dry up. Well, it won't dry up. You just make small, you end up making small variations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're just talking about the brand new bit, right? The, right. That yes. bit where there's mystery. Yes, that right. new relate that what I call it, new relationship new relationship energy. Uh-huh. Yeah, that bit, which all has to do with the chemicals and the mystery. Yeah. You want to continue some of that. One way of doing that, of course, is having um is being non-monogamous. And if you're non-monogamous, then you get that new relationship energy in other places. Um, and you can sometimes bring that back, that energy back into your existing relationship. Um, and so you can do stuff with that. But I think what people don't understand is that. And just because that bit's not there doesn't mean you're not having great and exciting sex. Yeah. And they, you know, but everything requires our commitment at the very beginning of a relationship. Often all people want to do is have sex and it doesn't require effort. Right. Well, the kind of sex I like to have does. Well, yeah. (laughs) I think hours and hours long sessions. I think I'm, I'm doing good in the effort department. <laughs> but I think when I, when I say effort, I mean, like, it doesn't require any effort to get yourself in the mood. It doesn't require, yeah. when you're at the beginning of a relationship with someone, it's unusual not to be wanting to be together all the time, right? Right, right, yeah. But when you have been with somebody for a long time and you're living more of a daily life with them, it requires more effort to get you to that place. Yeah, and that's the bit that people, I don't know, that, that people seem to have difficulty with. 
first, first of all, there's a myth that, that it shouldn't require effort. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it should, and it, it's, that's, but that's, that's the fun part too. I agree. I mean, I, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're for me anyway, when I, when I'm with a, with a partner, I just, I love, I mean, I, I love all the things that are selfish for me, but I just as much as that, I love knowing that about that person's experience and that I want it to be good and that, you know, I've put a lot of thought into this and, you know, they're the one involved with me in this, whatever it is, fantasy, something we've planned out or, or even just a, you know, spur the moment experience. It's, I always care about their pleasure and want them to have a great time with me. And so, and of course I want to have a great time too, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I just, I I really like that. That's, that's a turn on for me knowing Mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I'm the one that's turning them on and they're having this great experience. And I love that. Which is great because then you get to enjoy it both ways. Yes. But it also, I think keeps me motivated to want to, you know, be thoughtful and mindful of them, you know, it's little surprises and do, you know, it's like, okay, spoil them a bit. Yep. Yeah. Sexually. I mean, <laughs> you know, just give them a lot, you know, do a lot of things that are just solely and specifically for them. And it always comes back tenfold. I mean, I just, I have really found that the more generous you are with your partners sexually and open, they just, they'll mirror that back to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So Aside from dead, dead bed syndrome, what do you think, what's, what's the most unusual thing that you've come across? Oh my gosh. There's so much. I don't even know that I've uncovered. I mean, there's just, it goes on and on and on. I mean, the, 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 the people's, our sexuality is so intricate. And the more that I paid attention to it, the more, you know, the, the further you go down that rabbit hole and you see, you know, just like, I would say even just things like, and this is not, I feel like I'm not doing this question justice because it's just scratching the tip of the iceberg, but things that I find a little unusual, like pony play or, or, um, or the clown or clown sex. And I don't even know if that I'm calling it the right, you know, right thing. I I was wondering like, how does that, how does that happen? How does somebody get that? Like, I get so turned on by, by people wearing costumes or dressed in a certain way or the cosplay stuff. I mean, it's like, it's goes on and on, but some of these kinks are very intricate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, some people have incredibly intricate kinks. Yeah. Uh, very, very detailed and specific fantasies. And some of them are fetishes, and which is a fetish is when you need it in order to reach orgasm. It's a kink. Is that what the difference is? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. I've, oh, I really, to be honest, I never really quite understood the difference between you know, like you just said, a kink and a fetish. I mean, a lot of people use the word fetish in the wrong way. They use I probably it. do. I probably um, have a lot. I have a shoe fetish, people will say. And I'm like, you need shoes for orgasm. No, that's not yeah. what they mean, right? Yeah. It means that they really love shoes a lot and they collect yeah. them and it's a little bit unusual. But an actual fetish, clinically, an actual fetish is, is when you're, the object is necessary for uh-huh. orgasm. So if you have a kink about people dressing up in clown suits, for example, but you can also have an orgasm in more ordinary, and I'm putting it in quotes, right? In more ordinary sex, you know, um, where nobody's dressed up and you're not fantasizing, you're not having to fantasize about the clown in order to have the orgasm. Yeah. Given a blowjob or you're, you know, having, um, sex doggy style or your, you know, yeah. Okay. Having a spanking and all of those things will get you off. And clown sex is just one of the things that you like. That's a kink. Yes. But if you cannot reach orgasm without the actual thing, person, activity, image, or the fantasy of it, then it's mm-hmm. a Okay. I got it. There we go. That makes sense. For orgasm, it makes it a fetish. Okay. So I, then now I don't think I have any fetishes then. So for some people, 
that's actually really problematic, right? Not, ha- not having any fetishes? No, no, having an actual fetish, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because if, if you are somebody who um, needs the clown fantasy in order to have an orgasm and your partner is not into dressing up. Yes. You're not able to be a hundred percent present with your partner because you're having to fantasize in order to get off. Right. Interesting. See, I didn't know, I didn't know that. Okay. I wasn't thinking of it. Like they can't get off. That's, that's the key element there for them to have an orgasm. Okay. That's yeah. over the edge. But what I should say is that a lot of people um, find being present during sex very, very difficult. It is difficult. I've had, I've noticed that about myself and I've really focused on changing that and working on that. I mean, it's hard to make eye contact with someone, like look into their eyes directly when you're having sex. Well, but you can be present without looking into their eyes directly. I f- okay. Well, yes, I would say I'm present, but if I really want to try to go like connect. So, so what, I, what I, I mean, like there are levels of this, right? So there, there are a lot of people and, and I would say a, a very large number of people who go other places in their minds during sex at various points. Um, they go to a, fa- a favorite fantasy they go um, to a favorite trigger, whatever. They're not 100% there with their partner and what their partner's doing. Yeah. Sometimes they're doing it just to, to delay orgasm. Men who, ha- who um, come too quickly often go places, right? Right. So actually being able to be just focused on your partner and the sensations that you're having without going somewhere else can be a really big deal and and a complete game changer for people. I can do that. I can do that. And I do do that. And that's why I feel like I feel it so intensely. Like I feel, especially just what's actually the physical stimulation. I feel like I can feel every, you know, caress or stroke or, you know, I mean, I'm just, it's super intense for me because I do, I feel like I've I won't say mastered it, but just gotten really good at and practiced and in the habit of being there, you know, everything else is going to come back the minute you're done, you know, all the, the grocery list, whatever it is, like all that stuff. But I kind of look forward to that time, like that I can just tune all that out and really experience all that pleasure and feel it and be kind of greedy with it, you know, like, yeah, make I sure mean, I get all of it. It's definitely, you know, it's definitely changes the game in a lot of ways. It makes sex more intense. Um, it makes the connection more intense. So certainly it's preferable, right? To be able yeah. to be present with your partner when you're having sex. Um, and so where we started, this was fetish. And so people with fetishes can't do that unless their partner is embodying the fetish. Okay. And then they're perf- then they can experience being perfectly present. Right. So, you know, one of the things, whether you have a fetish or you just have only one way that you can reach orgasm or something like that, because like some people can only re- reach orgasm in one position because they have they're they've been conditioned over the years. Yes. Yes. I always, one of the things I always say to people is, um, you know, if you have a way that you usually reach orgasm when you're masturbating, you should change it up. Yes. Change it up. You should practice doing other things because that gives you much more flexibility with partners. I do a March masturbation madness month every year. And I kind, and I find when I do this, I have to masturbate every day for that month. It's, I reset, I kind of, I feel like I rewire my brain a bit. Um, I, because I do that, I make myself over throughout the year, you get, like you said, you know, you kind of get stuck in a rut, right? You know, you just, you know, it feels good. You go, you have your go-to if you're masturbating and then 
you know, and then you kind of, and then of course you might be finding yourself more frequently in that type of trying to get into that position with your partner, when you're with your partner. And what I do during that whole month is just like, do think it can't do the stuff I always do. I have to practice with different pressures, different toys, different touches, sometimes, uh, you know, porn, no porn, but it, uh, it will re and then finding different spots and different ways that are like off the beaten path of making myself come that I normally don't, you know, and it really kind of, I don't know what it does, but it's like a masturbation gymnastics, you know, it just, it kind of gets, (laughs) it it gets, you find different spots that are erogenous that actually I'd been overlooking, you know, it's really kind of interesting Uh, every year when I do it. And I just feel like I get more, I get hornier after that because now I'm, it's easier for me with different partners who do different, you know, have different techniques. Yeah. To, to have you're, a, have relaxed, a you're, you're more relaxed with partners and you have an easier time. Now, I mean, there are some people who reach orgasm incredibly easily, no matter what you do. And so those people probably won't relate to this part of the conversation. Right. Yeah. But for a lot of people, um, it's not so easy. And for pick particularly a lot of people with, um, clitorises yeah it's not so easy and um so if you do something like that and you vary during masturbation then you give you start to give yourself more options and what people often don't realize is a lot of what gets us to orgasm is is all about conditioning yes it is so true and also I found just sometimes if just the breathing too, people, I think, forget that they're actually sometimes holding their breath a little bit. People you know, hold their breath a lot with orgasms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's like, or you're getting close and you just sort of you, like you, you stop breathing, but you need to breathe through it. I mean, it, it'll help. It, I, I've noticed that personally. I don't know if you notice that with yourself, but if I, you know, if I'm starting to hold my breath, it's harder. It makes it, then it's, then I have to get aggro about it. You know, if I'm breathing right, it'll, it, comes a lot easier, no pun intended. (laughs) Well, I mean, certainly breathing is a thing, you know, breathing is definitely a thing. Um, And a lot of the times people hold their breath around orgasm or near orgasm. Um, And it's kind of counterintuitive, but, but they do, right. Something that happens. Um, It's definitely an, an, an issue to play with, but it's, so it's when we talk about conditioning, um, I get asked about, you know, what about orgasm without somebody touching you? Is that really possible? And it's like, yes, it's, it's really possible. It's really possible because it's just conditioning. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would so love to be able to do that. I've seen that. That looks, that's just, unusual. That looks unusual. But I, yeah, <laughs> it looks unusual, but it really isn't as unusual as people think because it's just conditioning because you can condition somebody to do that. So if you, for example, say certain things when you are stimulating your partner to at, at the point of orgasm and you do it often enough, at some point, if, they're, if they start to associate those yeah. words, it, you know, it's just like Pavlov's dogs. I hate to say it, guys. So, no, it is so true. Yes. And I, I have a perfect story. Yes. I, I have a perfect story for that. I... Um, I had a, uh, I was in a, um, a dominant submissive a dynamic with someone and he, it got to the point where, I mean, I just loved his voice. I'm so, I'm so auditory, but his, if he, when he would say, when he literally, if he said, come for me, I, I mean, it got to the point where I'd be like, oh, I mean, I, my body would react. Mm-hmm. It would just start reacting. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, so you're, you're basically, it's, it's just basic conditioning. Um, and so you can set out, somebody can set about to do that deliberately with your consent yeah. mm-hmm. um, and you can be conditioned to all sorts of stuff. Um, and so yeah. it, it, with enough practice and, it, you know, it, it, it takes repetition, conditioning takes repetition. And with the repetition, you can be in a situation where somebody can look at you and tell you to come and you will come. And that yes. is it's, I know. And it's, it's crazy, but it's true. Yeah. You can, you can be conditioned. <laughs> and it may seem unusual, but it's really not magic. You know, we're yeah. conditioned. We can, we end up being conditioned all the time. So, um, yeah. you know, okay. We'll go, just one thing about the ethics of this. It's not ethical to try to do that with somebody without their consent. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Right. 
everybody needs to consent. Yeah. Uh, well, and some people are not ethical because I've, you know, I've seen plenty of that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, and then people worry that if they get conditioned that way, then if, the, if they break up, they won't be able to come anymore. It's not that difficult to, to extinguish conditioning either. Yeah. All I have to, all you have to think about is when you get a habit started, right? When you get a habit started, the only way a time it's difficult to extinguish conditioning is when it's been intermittent. So if you get intermittent, if, if you're being conditioned in an operant manner, so for the, for the intellectuals in the group, that's BF Skinner's stuff. Um, that that intermittent pattern is when you get rewarded in an unpredictable way. Mm-hmm. And the example I always use for anybody who's got a car is, you know, the time you get into your car and the car doesn't start the first time you turn the key, and okay. and then you turn the key again and it starts. Yes. And the, Time that happens you'll turn the key at least twice because last time that worked oh. say you can see you continue you give it a second you continue doing it but this time it takes six times before it starts next time that happens it's gonna you're gonna go for at least six times before yeah. you, right because because it's not predictable when the reward will come and so if you condition somebody in that manner then that's really hard to get rid of that conditioning. But if it's, you know, thing happens, trigger, reward, trigger, reward, trigger, reward, then that's really easy to extinguish because trigger happens, no reward. And quite quickly you get past that. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us, when we try to start habits, we we're good. We're getting the reward every day for the habit. And the first time we don't get the reward, it starts to die away. So don't worry if you're, conditioned with your partner you're not brainwashed (laughs) not brainwashed you can you can get the same conditioning with somebody else yeah um but yeah no it isn't that difficult to do it is unusual it's a great party trick dominance love it as a party trick oh my god but it's also great fun because um there are also different kinds of orgasms you can have and so it's great fun because you can it's, it's a different way to experience that connection and it's a different way to experience the physicality. So as unusual as it may sound, it's not that unusual. Yeah. I have an unusual orgasm story. Okay. Okay. Since we're on the unusual, um, and this was with the same person. We got very in sync, you know, our body with just our bodies. And, um, and I don't even, I can't remember like what we were doing. We were doing a bunch of stuff. It was a lot of foreplay and, um, teasing, you know, like massaging around, um, my vagina and my clit without really actually touching it. And then I started to have an orgasm and it just went on and on and on. And, but it was like my whole, but you could see it like kind of going through my whole body. I was like, I think I say full body orgasm, but I wouldn't know really what the technical term was. That's just what I'm calling it. Mm-hmm. Just was big, long wave. And it, and it just went on forever. And I remember looking at him and I was just like thinking, you see this, right? You see what is happening here. Like, what is this? And I almost couldn't even talk. I was so overcome. It was amazing, but it was really unusual. It was like the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me, but it was so, felt so good you know, and like literally where it's normally, if I have an orgasm, like the heat, you know, and the pressure that's down, you know, towards my stomach. And of course, towards my, you know, in my, in my pussy and my vagina and, and my whole pelvis, but it's, which kind of rate and will radiate out a little bit, but this was like, it had radiated out to, you know, everywhere. It was bizarre. I, I mean, I, I loved it, but I I'm searching to this day, like, what was that? Well, that, I mean, it sounds like a full body orgasm. You know, and, and, and so orgasms are energy, right? They're energy, right? So you can move energy in your body, right? And so so you can, because you can move energy in your body, you can, you can move that energy too. You can take the energy from an orgasm and move it up through your body deliberately rather than sometimes it will happen on its own, but you can have to do that deliberately. 
Well, I don't think I did it deliberately, but I, it happened and I am like, well, how did, how do I do that again? <laughs> it was, it was so Look at the pattern of what it was that caused that. And, yeah. then, and then, you know, I mean, that's sort of how we, we, we try and figure out when we do have these unusual experiences, but we like them that we want to make, be able to repeat them. You know, one of the things you do is analyze, well, what was, what were the factors that went into causing yeah. And one of the things that one of the things that people do that I try and encourage them not to do is attribute things to their partner. See, that's what you, I was thinking that honestly, that's Dr. Laurie. I was like, uh, I think it's, I was, it's him. He did it. Yeah. Right. So, so often we attribute these things to our partner and I'm not saying our partners have nothing to do with it. Of course yeah. they do. Like we're having this experience with them and it happens with them. But um particularly um, people with vulvas tend to assign their pleasure to their partners. Oh yeah, I, I would. That's true. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't reside in them. It's this body that is got the pleasure, right. That's having yeah. the, not theirs. So the pleasure resides in you. It doesn't reside in them. So anything that they can do with you, you can do. Yeah. It might be more cumbersome because you're trying to do something for yourself. It's sometimes more difficult than having somebody else do it. They yeah. have angles, different positions, yeah. Yeah. different tools, right? Right. However, anything that anything you experience as a result of that person is something that you own, not them. I like that. That is good because I'll tell you, I have been a little bit lamenting the fact he and I are no longer together. And I have a little, I've thought, well, maybe that's just like, maybe that's not going to happen, you know, I mean, again. Not to say that there isn't sometimes more chemistry with somebody or yeah. you get together with somebody better and therefore these things are more likely. I'm not saying that at all. You know, we have good lovers and we have okay lovers and we have shitty lovers, you know. Right. So I'm not saying that at all. But the the actual the actual pleasure resides in you. So if you've had an all a full body orgasm once, that means your body is capable of having a full body orgasm, which means, you know, it resides in you. You, you can reproduce that with someone else. Oh, see, that would be fun. Yes, I would, I would say, love to. I mean, I would say the same is true for people with penises to remember that, but they don't seem to have so much of a problem in remembering that. They don't seem to assign their pleasure to others in the same way that we do. I think you're right about that. That's a really interesting observation. Yeah. I'd never thought of it that way. And I mean, you know, and, and for those of you who are going, well, you know, what about if you're submissive and, and, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can't be submissive. Just owning your own pleasure doesn't make you not submissive. Owning your own pleasure means that you can then negotiate for what you want. Yeah. Yeah. It also means that for your solo sex, you can, learn to do interesting and different things. I had somebody come to me once um, who was concerned that she didn't know how to have an orgasm. Um, and I often have people come who don't orgasm at all. Yeah. And that's where we're starting. So I was like, now many times when people do have orgasms, that are coming because of an orgasm problem, they have orgasms during masturbation, but they can't seem to do it with a partner. But this person came and said, she didn't know how to have an orgasm. I said, well, do you never have an orgasm? And she said, no, I, I have an orgasm fine with my husband. I said, okay. And she said, but I wanted to masturbate and I can't, it's not working. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know why. And I, and, and I said, so why don't you have the person who's been helping you have an orgasm teach you? Oh, there we go. Yeah. He knows what he does to your body. So talk about it. But definitely learn how to do it yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I like I mean, that. We don't, you know, we even when we're committed to somebody and, and staying with them for life, there's no guarantee that they're going to live as long as we are. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. There's no guarantee. This is a good point. <laughs> people get ill. People get ill. People die. People divorce. People separate. Yeah. Relationships end. And so if your pleasure resides in another, then you run the risk of being in a situation where pleasure is then unavailable to you. 
Yes. And also when you get, or you break up. Yeah. Yeah. So pleasure then becomes unavailable to you because you don't have a means of, of experiencing your own pleasure. Yeah. You own it, then you have a means of experiencing it regardless. And then people tend to be more confident with partners anyway. When they feel they own their own pleasure, when they know how to create pleasure in themselves, they're more confident in what they do with partners. And so they get even better with pleasure with partners. Yes. Yeah. I love, I I really, I'm so enjoying that, the way you look at things or well, with your, obviously with your background and your, you know, your, uh, your experience, you're, you know, it's, it's interesting to be on this side and sort of draw all those conclusions. But when you say it and, and then you break it down, why it makes so much sense. It's like, Oh, ding, ding, ding. Yes. That, that comes from, um, I think not just my professional experience and the value. One of the things I really value is I've got professional experience. Part of my professional experience means that I also have a very large sample of people to draw from. Yeah. Lots of people's experiences that I've heard over many years. I have personal experience and, um, and I also know how to teach, which is something that I studied as well. So I've learned how to take all of that and break it down in, in ways that are, I hope easily to easy to access. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that, that's what I try to do. Uh, and because I think that it, one of the biggest issues with sexuality and sexual experience is that people don't have the education and they don't talk to each other. And it's all fraught with, with shame and, and, and difficult emotions. And so it becomes very difficult to really learn because there's so much bound up. Yeah. In the, you know, we, we, have morality bound up in it and religion bound up in it and law and, and, you know, all sorts of stuff tied up in this topic, um, which makes it much more difficult to access. I think. Well, what do we, I mean, it's so it's not talked about, it's not taught very well. What, 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 what is out there? I mean, how, how do we, how do we start to change that? I think we are comfortable, you know, with talking about this stuff. It's not a big deal. It's like talking about your grocery list. Of course, you're going to discuss your sex life and your preferences. Why wouldn't you? Exactly. So I think, I mean, I think there are a few ways that we go about this. One is that, um, yeah, we really push for teaching it properly. Um, and, and, and I do spend a lot of time. Um, it's, it's kind of a refrain on the podcast. People hear it a lot, but I really push for teaching it properly. Um, there's a lot of argument about this belongs to parents to teach, but parents can only teach this if they actually have knowledge. And so the problem we've got right now is we've got generations of people who know nothing passing on yeah. the knowledge that they know, and that's not useful. So, yeah. um, so somewhere someone has to intervene and start teaching um, that we teach this in a very straightforward manner with an understanding and clarity around the fact that emotions are involved in this and that that people have different moral views and different religious views. And we talk about those things, but we don't allow the teaching to be controlled by those things. And I think one of the areas that we have difficulty with is that we, um, in many areas of the world, that, that when it does get taught, it gets taught from a religious or moralistic viewpoint but bodies are bodies and people, people do things. Yeah. You know, you know, if you teach abstinence, that doesn't mean that people abstain. What it means is they don't have the information they need to prevent pregnancy and to prevent disease, that they don't have the information they need to, to negotiate consent. Yes. Uh, that they don't have the information they need to feel okay about their experiences. So all they feel is shame. And that doesn't go away when they get married. Right. Right. You've been told this is horrible and shameful for years and years and years. When you get married, the light switch doesn't flick and and you don't suddenly feel like it's not horrible and shameful. So we get lots of people who have managed to be abstinent only to have marital sex be something that that they find horrifically shameful because that's what they've been taught. Yeah. To 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 not eliminate that, because those are important things 
but to teach it with a really practical understanding of how our bodies work. And then we start talking about it with partners before we fucking do it. For yeah. God's sakes. Thank you. Before you get to bed with somebody. God. Them. I just, I never understand this idea of fucking somebody before you've told them what you like or don't like. I don't either. I mean, I don't now, you know, I'm reformed. I used to, but I don't now. I say it like I've always been this way. No, I mean, I, I think I was always, I've always been naturally uh, very good at communicating. So it, it would come out, but it just now, I mean, you know, it's like, it's great. And what I love the fact that I can talk about this stuff up front. This is how you, you know, this is how, you know, are we a good match or not? It's one of the, you know, you know, and, and heterosexuals are no heteronormative people. So that means like vanilla heterosexuals basically are yeah. notorious for falling into bed without ever saying anything. I know. And also with some really weird contorted idea that it's supposed to be natural. And um, so, you know, you'll just have fun anyway. <laughs> Like, like, like none of us have any anatomical differences. Nobody, right. has, you know, nobody has any preferences. And, and it's like this weird, wild, magical thing. But it's also why relationships become so fraught around sex later. Because actually, at the very beginning, when you have that new relationship energy and all the chemicals are firing, you know, people do things that they normally wouldn't enjoy doing. And they do enjoy it in that situation because they're basically so fucking high. Yeah, yeah. And four months later, they're like, "No, I don't like that." And the partner's like, "What? What? What? Yeah. But we've always done that, and it's always been wonderful." What the fuck do you mean you don't like that? Well, that is because it was just part of the new relationship energy, and because you never discussed your preferences. Now we're in a situation, or the couple that came in, she came in crying and said, "You know, my marriage is in real trouble." And I, I said, you know, what's going on? And basically she had finally become enlightened and learned about orgasm and, and, and understood what she needed for orgasm. And she'd been married for 15 years and had been faking orgasm for 15 years. And when oh she finally gosh. figured it out, she had a real orgasm in, in, during sex with her husband. And he was like, you bitch, because he realized that 15 years she'd been faking it. Right. Yeah. And so he was threatening to end the marriage. I mean, they, they ended up staying together, and, but it took a lot of work. But it was like, you bitch, you know, you've been faking it all this time. It's like you yeah. shouldn't be faking it. You should never be faking it. Um, you know, I do understand. I won't say never. You should never. I never say I never say never is even worse. Yeah. Right. I won't say never. I mean, I suppose there are times where um, people will kind of semi-fake it in as much as they don't want to disappoint their partner, but they're exhausted and they're not, or they're, you know, they have a crap, you know, but really you're, you're still better off being honest about what's going on. I know. It's not the be all and end all of everything. Anyway, you can have a great sex and not have an orgasm. And the idea that your partner should not feel happy with themselves if they don't give you an orgasm my worst experience was that was uh, orgasm was never easy for me with partners. Yeah. It's different now. It's taken a long time, but you know, it's different now. I'm very able to express um, what I need and want. And so um, that's great. Right. But um, I, at the time where I wasn't very good at this, but with being more honest about it, told a man that I was dating that, you know, I had trouble having orgasms with a partner. And I became this science experiment. Like he tried for hours. Yeah. Until I was raw and in pain and no closer to coming than I had been in hour one. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because he felt, you know, there was something wrong if he couldn't make me come and he would get angry. Uh, oh was, no! Oh oh! I don't like. That. Okay. I was, at first, I was like, "That was really nice of him to really try all this stuff." But now, no, when no, you say, no, like, no. Oh, okay, became yeah. this Olympics, right? Oh yeah, no, that's yeah. Right. It was completely performative. Nothing I wanted. Uh-huh. But if you can talk honestly, then you can head those things off, right? You have the right, yeah, yeah, and head those things off. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Um, I think that the, the solution is to encourage people to talk. 
um, and encourage people to talk often and encourage them to learn the communication skills they need to talk and yeah. also to learn the emotional management skills they need to handle the difficult discussions. Because that's the other place where people don't have great skills. Managing the discussion? Managing their emotions. Oh, right. Right? Like people are not good at that because we don't learn about that. We don't learn emotional skills either. Nobody teaches us that. We learn that by watching. And again, much love to our parents. The reality is people pass down dysfunctional behavior. And so we don't live in close-knit villages anymore where you would see various other examples on a daily basis so that you could compare which were the more effective strategies. Yeah. Where in these little nuclear units where we only see one option really, or two yes. options, depending on it, or three, depending on how many parents are in the home. And so if those are dysfunctional, then that's what we learn. So yeah. it's about changing that, which, you know, I think is, is self-evident, but other people think, think is unusual to suggest that we should be teaching emotional skills in this way. I well, they go. I don't think so. That just the two, you know, the, they go hand in hand. I mean, you need this stuff. Like <laughs> these are basic life skills, but yes, right. I mean, as I'm saying, this is you're going to use that not just not just in talking about sex with your partner, but you know, in in every area of your life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's something. It's something that definitely needs. It's under focused on. We need more of it. Yes, we do. So where do people find you? I've already told them about the podcast, but tell them about it a bit more detail, please. Yeah. Well, um, it's, if you want to find me the fastest, easiest way is to go to the curiouschooldiaries.com. And if you scroll right down to the bottom, you can find all my links to all my social media. If you want to follow me there, uh, you can also reach out to me. And if you're on the website, you can click on the pink tab on the right-hand side if you want to leave me a voicemail and I get back to each and every one of you personally. I love knowing about my listeners. And of course the podcast, The Curious Girl Diaries uh, can be, you pretty much just type in Curious Girl Diaries wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, boom, there it'll be. And if for some reason you're on Mars and they don't have it there, just go to my website and click on the podcast tab and you can listen to episodes there. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you guys again for listening. Um, Next week is the letter B. And on next week's show, I have the amazing Lisa Ann of the Lisa Ann Experience. Um, We've had some really interesting conversations and V is for variety next week. So Tune in. Um, If you have ideas for the podcast, please do email me. If there are people you want to hear from, again, email me. And I'm still running the raffle. If you leave a review, you get put in for a raffle for 20 minutes free with me. Um, I draw a name every month and you have the opportunity to ask me any questions you want. You can't get 20 or 30 minutes free with me anymore without Now it's paying a fee because things have become so busy. So if you want that free time with me, take advantage of this. Um, People win it every month. Just do some form of review somewhere on any of my content. See you all next week. All righty. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLoriBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. 
If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at laurybeth at drlaurybethbisbee.com and I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy.